Hey, it's Margot Tantow here. Welcome to Windowsill Chats, a podcast for creatives and the creatively curious. I am so glad you're here. I've spent decades working with artists and being one myself. I've spent time in the trenches, figuring out the best way to get something made, how to put oneself out there, how to get your work noticed, and pull yourself up and face the next challenge. Windowsill Chats brings you creativity from a global perspective, as I talk in depth to friends I've met along the way. I'm here to bring their stories to you, as well as a few of my own, and see if there's anything you can pull out for yourself. Maybe a laugh, something you can relate to, and definitely a little bit more community for your quiet corner. So grab a cup of tea or coffee or a glass of wine and join me over in my sunny windowsill. Yes, I need your trouble. everyone. Happy 2023. I cannot believe it. I hope this year brings you many things you wish it would. How about that? That is vague and direct all at once. (laughs) Today, I bring you a super interesting conversation with somebody that I really, really like. I don't know her that well, but I'd love to know her more. And I've known her actually for a really long time. So I was glad to sit down and have this conversation and be able to introduce you all to the genius that is Megan Allman. Megan is an artist, metalsmith, teacher, creative business coach, writer, and entrepreneur who has built a multifaceted business around her passion for art, design, and creativity. In addition to her eponymous jewelry line and various other creative pursuits, including textile design, painting, and sculpture, and plants. She runs Designing an MBA, where she talks and teaches about the intersection of art and business. She also has Artists and Profit Makers, an online mentorship program for creative business owners. I'm thinking I need to be in there myself. Megan is the author of Try It and See, How to Get Shit Done While Overanalyzing Everything, which is her answer to the question of how do you get so much done? And she has a brand spanking new planner to go along with it. Imagine a planner by an artist and business guru. I personally can't wait to get my hands on one. Megan believes in the power of art and craft to enhance our everyday lives. And say no more, right? I mean, I could go on and on about just uh, how inspired Megan makes me. Truly, her jewelry is some of the most unique and wonderful I've seen. I own many pieces and I love it. And I think it's very rare to find somebody who really can stand out in this way. And one of the other things I love about Megan is her curiosity and her tenacity to just figure it out. Not only figure it out for herself, she shares so generously with the rest of us. So without further ado, as I like to say, here is Megan Amon. Megan, I am so happy to be talking to you today. It's been a really long time since I've had the opportunity I know it feels like forever, I think, because it was forever. Um, But I am so excited to be here chatting with you today. Thanks. I am so impressed with all the things you have going on. And I I have to kind of circle back to that time because I first met you and I want to say 
I think it was 2012. It might have been 2013, but I was with my friend Nancy Soriano and she said, I'm going to have dinner with this cool gal who's doing all these great things. And so we did. And I just remember being sitting there and being like, wow, she's so interesting and cool. And you, I remember that you were really one of the OG online teachers. You you had grabbed it then and were running with it. And I remember you saying that you were a teacher because I, I was like, how are you thinking about all these things? And then you mentioned that you you were a teacher. You're actually a teacher and had that background. I was like, oh, my gosh, just a magical combo. Yeah, very yeah, impressed. It was, I know now you're like making me blush a little, <laughs> a little bit, but it's true. But I, I love the combinations of things you've done. I mean, your metalwork, first of all, your jewelry is gorgeous. I own it. And I love it when I see it in the wild. I'm like, oh, I love your jewelry. You know, somebody has it. outside. It wasn't too long ago. It's, it's probably been in the last month I, I saw somebody with one of your pieces. And I, I also love that it's so distinctive. It's very hard being somebody that, you know, holds a torch myself to make something that has remained unique for its whole its whole lifespan. And that's that's tricky, too. Yeah, I think um, I mean, it's something that I really have tried hard to do, which is develop a really, a really distinct voice in my work. Um, yeah. And I was I think I was fortunate that I did that very early on. I know it's kind of one of those like, I'm like, wow, I was smarter than I than I knew I was. <laughs> Back when I was in my 20s. So <laughs> I figured that out. Yeah. You know, well, so tell us a little bit about how you got here. I know there, there's a lot to yeah. hear, but it's a, g- give me a little a path. Uh, yeah, we'll go. We'll go. We'll do the short but meandering. Um, <laughs> so I definitely always grew up around art. Like my mom was a painter, art kid, art lessons, all of that stuff. Um, and I thought I was going to, I kind of, debated like, oh, I could be an architect. I could be this thing. I could be this thing. And then by high school, I was like, oh no, I'm going to go to school to be a painter. Like that's, that's going to be my path. And then I did this arts magnet program at my local community college. And we would do these little workshops. And we did a workshop where we made lost wax cast silver rings. Mm -hmm. And it was early in my senior year of high school. And I was like, you can go to college for this. Sign me up. Like I'm, I'm so in. And so I just started looking at schools that had metalsmithing programs and thought, okay, I'm going to go to school for metalsmithing. And in hindsight, it totally makes sense because my mom was a painter, but my dad owns a machine shop that was founded wow. by my grandfather. So I always say like metalsmithing is sort of yeah. combining those two sides of me that like as much as I love art and paint, like metal runs in my blood too. So I am. Um, so I was like, okay, I'm going to go to school, get my BFA in metalsmithing. And I think my parents were a little bit relieved. They've always, they were always super supportive of my art. Um, but I think they were a little relieved, especially my dad, because he felt like jewelry seemed more practical than painting. And still, until I started coming home from college with these like weird giant neck pieces made out of like alternative materials and all of this stuff. Like I was, the, the joke was I was the metalsmithing major who never worked in metal. Um, <laughs> I spent as much, the fiber studio was right next door and I spent as much time hanging out in the fiber studio as I did in metals. And I was like sewing things together and all, all of this stuff. And so they were like, oh, more practical. Oh, wait, not not practical. <laughs> not practical at all. <laughs> what um, is she and, doing? <laughs> right. They were like, oh, like, this is jewelry. And I was like, yeah, it's totally jewelry. It's fine. Um, I remember I took uh, a wooden mixed media class, which is part of like the sculpt was part of the sculpture program. And technically in that class, you're not supposed to make jewelry. And I asked the professor if I, I was like, well, I have this idea for like a wearable project, but I know we're not supposed to make jewelry. And he just looks at me and he goes, 
you're weird enough. Whatever you do will be fine. And I was like, just took that as like the best compliment. <laughs> <Thank> you. <laughs> so yeah. So you got my BFA. I had no idea what to do with a BFA in metalsmithing. So I was like, well, let's just go get an MFA too. Cause <laughs> I don't really know what I'm doing. So went, got my MFA. And the whole time I was getting my MFA, I sort of had this, this dual track in mind of I'm either going to become a university professor or I'm going to start my own business. And I'd always been thinking about the business aspect. Even when I was an undergrad, I was an entrepreneurship minor. I took some business classes. I just was always thinking about that even even an as I was making my entrepreneurship minor. Entrepreneurship minor. So yeah, the school that I went to wow. had it's the actual minor was um entrepreneurship and emerging enterprises. Everyone just wow. called it triple E. I the irony that. is I did it, but I actually didn't technically finish it <laughs> because the final class where you had to write a business proposal, I decided not to do. And instead I took that wooden mixed media class because I nice. was like super senioritis and didn't want to leave the art building. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> technically I don't actually have that on my diploma, but I took all but one you class. You have all so the classes. I did, I did all the things. So the whole time I was in grad school, I kept thinking, okay, either I'm going to become a university professor or I'm going to start my own business. And I, so I was making actually sculptural work when I was in grad school. I, I, the jewelry had gotten so big that I thought, okay, that was a good time to just make some sculpture instead. But then I was also involved in our jewelry student co-op where we were having sales and starting oh. to make production jewelry. So I really was balancing both of those paths. And I was lucky. Um, you know, I say lucky, but I also did a good job of maintaining some relationships. And so coming out of grad school, I got a one-year teaching position at university. I was a, a sabbatical replacement, visiting assistant professor. Mm -hmm. And I always say in that the thing I learned in that year was that I didn't want to be a full-time professor. <laughs> so I'm really Good fortunate that learn. I learned that quickly so that I wasn't job hopping around doing you know all the things. And that's where I realized I love, 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 love teaching, but I don't love the bureaucracy and yeah. I don't really love having a boss. It turns out I'm not so yeah. good. It's not my skill set. Um, and so after I was done with my year there, I stayed on and taught on and off adjunct there and a couple other places. Um, but then I just started building my business and I started by doing retail craft shows and then I was selling my jewelry wholesale. And all of this sort of happened around like 2008, 2009 was when I was building the business, which, you know, as we know, was a recession. Yes. And so I made a comment to my friend, actually, the, the woman whose uh, position I had filled at the university. Mm -hmm. I said to her, I was like, you know, I said, maybe like I should go get my MBA and she just looked at me and she goes, don't be ridiculous. You could teach that stuff. And I was uh -huh. like, oh, I guess maybe I could. So it's 2009. How do you teach something in 2009? I started a blog. <laughs> so I started a blog yeah. um, originally called Crafting an MBA, now Designing an MBA. So I started a blog and I just started teaching classes and teaching what I knew. It was, I mean, you're talking, you know, you talked about like how long I've been in that space. My first classes that I taught so first I published an ebook, but then my first classes were like telesummit classes. So everyone had a phone number that oh, they wow. called into. This was like, there was no Zoom. Um, so I was like, here's the number. And then I had little software where people could like press a button and raise their hand. That was my first classes. And I started out by teaching mostly about wholesale and trade shows because it turned out that was the thing that I had started in and there was no information on Nobody it. Nobody so was teaching I started that. Doing that. And then I realized there were a lot... Yeah, no one was teaching it. No one had that information. And then I just realized there were like a lot of other gaps in mm -hmm. artists and makers knowledge and business education. And I started teaching a lot of other things. I teach a lot about pricing because it turns out I'm like a total numbers and pricing nerd and a lot. Of, it's Love really that. intimidating to a lot of people. So um, yeah, so since then, 
I, you know, various permutations of my business, but, you know, making jewelry, making some other art and objects, doing teaching. Now I run an online mentorship program called Artists and Profit Makers. Mm. Um, and I'm really diving now headfirst into some book publishing, which I'm sure we'll circle back around to as well. Yes. I and you teach cross, or, sorry, coach, coach cross country, <laughs> yeah. and you have a, 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 veritable nursery that you take care of in your house of plants and yes. you you know you do a lot of really I think those are all really they seem really fulfilling and creative all yeah. of those things because I think managing certainly certainly teenagers I have one oh, yeah. is a creative you have to be creative but all of that I love and this the, we'll circle back because I've been reading your book and with a pen because I've been circling things <laughs> because it's so good so much good information in this newest book and but i love that you first of all that you were able to that you found that there was a wax casting class in high school i feel like if i had a wax casting class in high school i would have had a whole different path i am i am so lucky because this program that i did it was this arts magnet program at the local community college first of all a local community college that had glass blowing and jewelry so and ceramics and printmaking that in and of itself is amazing. But then that, that arts magnet program only existed for two years. Oh, wow. Just one of those just happened to be my like senior year of high school. So the, the serendipity in that, I just count myself so fortunate every day. I love that. Cause I think it is those experiences that we have that, it, that are like, Oh, I can do that. I could, yeah. that's a thing. Like you yeah. said, that's so cool. And then that you went on and learned about well, not learn, you know, you're like, what else should I do with this? I'm going to take this a little further. And, and then you did, and you're right, because not having that entrepreneurial sort of sub major, you were learning all those things at the same time, plus taking that much art, how to, how to make it a business. Not that they necessarily, I mean, I don't know exactly what they taught, but you mentioned production. Yeah. So that right there, you have to figure out how do I make more than one of these and you figured out how to get yourself to a show and how do I sell that? And at the time we met, I had been doing the gift show, oh Lordy, for <laughs> a long time. And I had just stopped. And then and I was like, how oh, I would I would know you. We would have, you know, we might right. have been aisle mates. But the fact that you were teaching about it, I think that's one of the things that really struck me because um it's like, wow, there's all this information. And back then you used I was, I was actually looking at some show stuff yesterday because I'm helping somebody with a project but we used to get the giant book in the mail it was spiral bound and from like the Xerox machine and you would go through and like on page you know 200 there would be you have to pay $300 for electricity and it just seemed so frightening and daunting until you did it once and then you realized oh it's not so frightening and daunting at all I just need to get my stickers here and do this and make sure I have an extra $20 to get my crate and things like that. And the fact that you were teaching that as well as so many practical things about how to try and have a successful business. And I remember you telling us that night about the numbers, the people that were, you know, yes, I put this course out there and 50 people signed up or it was like 35 or 50. So it was something like to me, just what? Because it was really the first I had sat down and talked to somebody about this. 
And I just thought it was so great. And looking at your site, you have so many things that people can learn from you now because it, it feels to me like you'll think, oh, hey, that would be handy to to help somebody know. And you put it out there. And I love that. Yeah, that's definitely, you know, I'm always looking for like, so I think part of it ju- is just, I really am a natural teacher. That's just my personality. Like I, I was next to someone at a trade show and it was her first trade show. And she knew of me through my website, but we had never met before. And like, I kept like, anytime we had a break, I come over and be like, Hey, like, if you don't mind, like I have another suggestion for you. And she's like, Oh no, I'm ready. Like she got her notebook out. Her mom had her notebook out. She's like, we're ready. At one point, like I dragged her across the show floor. Cause I was like, I want you to see this person's booth and how they're utilizing space in this way. And she was like, you really are like natural teacher. And I was like, I just, I can't help it. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm the oldest of, of four kids. I'm the old, I'm like the third oldest of like 30 cousins. I don't know. Teachings just wow, yeah. comes naturally to me, I think. And, um, but so I'm always looking for like, what are the gaps in knowledge? What, what other information do people need? And, I, and, One of the other things that I think that I do well is like, I think of myself as a translator, both in Mm. that I really understand the business world in a lot of ways that a lot of other artists and makers don't because Mm -hmm. I grew, you know, grew up with my dad running his own business. And then I, you know, I studied business and I read a ton. And so I think I, I really understand that world, but then I'm good at taking that and translating it into Thing, the information in a way that artists and makers need because a lot of that information doesn't directly apply to us. Right. And so I think I do that really well. And then I'm just always ta- like, I love to read. I'm always taking in information, but I also, I always love to observe and talk to my students and just, so I'm always looking at what do people need? And then immediately it pops into my head, like, Oh, I could, I could write a class on this. I could do a class. On, like I should do a training on that. It's just, I'm always so full of those ideas because I'm always taking in so much information. And then that's how my brain wants to like put it back out into the world. I love that because I I feel like so many people have the ability to share what they know. And I'm there's so many people I would love to learn from. And we get caught up in, oh, that's somebody's already in that space. Someone's already doing that, you know. And and I know that's some of the information that you lean into your into in your book, but um I just feel like so let, let's talk a little bit about the book. Cause I, I keep thinking about it and I have a whole bunch of questions I want to yeah, ask you, but I want to circle back to that because it is just, it's just really so timely and it's so full of things that we get asked about all the time being mentors and, and people that help other artists. And it's just, you have chapters like make money first, um, charge more, ship every day. It, just tell us a little bit. Uh, just what, tell us what, tell us about your book. Cause I want to hear it from you. Yeah. It's, it's so good. Yeah. So the book is try it and see, and the subtitle is how to get shit done while overanalyzing everything. And the book actually came first out of the subtitle. So I don't know why that I was talking to a friend about something. I was like really stewing over something, but while I was stewing over that, I think it was whether or not I wanted to do a specific trade show. And while I was stewing over that, I was still like knocking a bunch of stuff out in in my work day. And I was talking to a friend and she was like, and she was telling me that she was talking to her therapist. And she was like, I am so impressed with Megan's ability to overthink things. And I was like, wait a second, I overthink things all the time. I just get stuff done in spite of it. And so I wrote that line and I just started writing and I thought, okay, either this is like a really epic blog post or it's the start. I joked it was like the start of my memoir. And so it turned into the book. I just kept writing and writing and realized I actually had a lot to say on the subject. And then the title itself, Tried and See, came out of my experience as a teacher 
because students would come in. I'm I'm a huge fan of experimentation, both in my art practice and in my business practice and in my teaching. And I I will fully admit to my students, to anyone, I don't know everything. I don't know how things are going to turn out all the time. I, I'm not I'm not a fortune teller. I can't predict the future. I don't know. So students would come to me in class and they'd be like, "Well, what happens if I do this and this with this piece of metal?" I'm like, "I don't know. Let's go. Let's take it in the back and try it and see. Let's hit it with a hammer. Let's throw a torch on." I don't know what's going to happen either. Let's try it. What's the worst that happens? We wreck a piece of copper. Okay, we're moving on. And I realize that that's the approach that I take in my business too. Everything is an experiment, which is actually the, the first chapter is called yes. everything is an experiment. And it's it, it's what keeps you from like holding everything too tightly, which ironically is also when you're taught how to saw metal with a jeweler saw, you're also yes. taught not to hold the jeweler saw too tightly because that's how you break saw blades, right? And I think that's what happens in people's businesses. You you grip it so tightly oh, that so I well just remember what, I just remember what the reference is from it. Um, there was a show that I loved. It was an Aaron Sorkin show called Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. It only ever oh, had no. one season. First first half of the first season was fantastic. Uh, Matthew... Uh, Matthew Perry, Bradley Whitford. Oh, okay. Anyway, it was a line from that. It just popped back into my head. I love uh, that. But anyway, so this idea that like, don't grip it too tightly. And I think that's what we do in our businesses Yeah, is we grip them so tightly. And then we're so afraid to fail that that's what we get stuck in this overthinking and overanalyzing. And the problem is you can't think your way into a successful business. You can only put things out and then respond to what happened. Did people buy it? If they didn't buy it, why do I think that was? Can I make tweaks? Do I need to make a shift? Is this product just not the right fit for my audience, for the market, for whatever it is? And none of that stuff you know until you put things out there and try. And I think we spend too much time like worrying about the details that don't really matter. So perfecting our websites or you know, like what's my social media handle supposed yeah. to be? Or am I signing up for the right email service provider? At the end of the day, those things don't matter if you actually are trying to run a business. Like what matters is putting stuff out there, is making revenue, is learning and evolving and figuring out what is the right business model and business mix for you. Because it looks different for everyone, every artist, every maker. It's yes. going to look different for everyone, but you don't know until you try stuff. Yeah. I just try it is, I've definitely lived my life in just try it mode and I, it's tricky when you run up against the linear thinker, <laughs> you know, the very linear, I have to have all this figured out. I need to do all this research yeah. first. And that's, that's fine. I'm, I feel very fortunate that I'm not that, but I certainly have had to align with a linear thinker. However, if you listener are wanting to get further in your business, just try it is, should really be your mantra. Because at, one of the things you say is, First thing is nothing is actually a failure. It's all just a big fat learning experience. And yeah, that's it's that's just such a relevant point because if you don't try it, how will you know? And like you made this point in the book about a, a few of the things you did. You signed up for a gift show that maybe didn't work so well, but you learned from that and you signed up for, you know, Etsy and learned that selling another way was better. But how would you have known that had right. you not tried? Right. And, and there's no way to know. And the thing is you can talk to experts and this is something that I talk, you know, the people in my, in my mentorship program, artists and profit makers, like we talk about this all the time because there are things that haven't worked in my business that I know very well work in other people's businesses. And so when I, when I coach and when I teach, I explain this to my students all the time is that it, it didn't work for me, 
but it might work for you. And so I'm going to give when I when I coach and I give feedback, I give it based on my understanding of their business as well as my understanding of my own. I'm I that's very important to me. I think there's a lot of teachers who are just like, this is my way and this is the way you have to do it. And that's so not the way I teach and coach because every person is different. Everyone's art is different. Everyone's business is different. Everyone's needs are different. And so I'm always looking at my students. But at the end of the day, I'm like, okay, these are my educated guesses. But if this is something that's intriguing to you, you just have to try it and see and and find out what works. And then once you've tried it, now we have data, like data that we can take. And when I talk about data, like I think people think that I'm getting very like numbers and analytical. And I am as much about like touchy feely data as I am about like, yes, show me the numbers. I am a numbers girl. I want to look at numbers, but also I'm like, I also want to look at gut feeling. So like I talked about in the book, I started at the New York gift fair in handmade, but then I moved to this section called accent on design. And when I moved to accent, that was the height of the recession. I spent like $10,000 on this booth and it was, and it was a flop. So from like a Mm. purely numbers analytical standpoint, that did not work. But my gut told me that that was the part of the show. That was the area of the show that I needed to be in. Yeah. And so I had to just, and I looked around and I was like, okay, it didn't work, but here are the, yes. And yes, it was a recession. There was not a lot of traffic there. You could literally like roll a bowling ball down the aisle. But also I took stock of like, these are the 12 things that I could have done better. Mm. And the other thing is when I, when I look at that, when I teach, look at things as a learning opportunity and not a failure. I also don't beat myself up for it because I know that in that moment, I did the best that I could do with the information that I have. So now it's like, okay, I did the thing. I learned stuff. I'm not going to get down on myself for it. I'm just going to say, these are the, this is my list. These are the things I'm going to do better next time. And I'm going to do better next time. And I think that's the other important thing is that like, I treat everything as a work in progress. A Mm. trade show is a work in progress. Uh, you know, a body of work is a work in progress. A book is a work in progress. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually working on a planner version of Try It and See. So like oh, a, nice. a quarterly and weekly planner that I'm, that hopefully, I think by the time this air should hopefully be available. Um, but so I'm working on that. And literally I put the back of the book in the back of the planner. This is a Try It and See for me. And if you have feedback, if you would like to see other things in this planner, let me know. Um, when I used to teach in person, we would have, you know, we do our projects, we would do a critique. And I was constantly tweaking the curriculum where I taught. Like I was always pushing to make assignments better, to help students get more mm. out of them. And so we do the critique. I'd give feedback, students would give each other feedback. And then we'd wrap it up and I'd say, hey guys, tell me what you liked and what you didn't like about this project. Like, I want to mm. know how can wow. I make this better? Because to me, like that's that's how you learn and that's how you improve. And so by the time I was done teaching, I was really, really proud of the projects that I was doing and the results that my students were getting. But it's because I didn't just teach the right. curriculum as it was handed to me. I taught things, I experimented, I asked for feedback and kept on improving. There's something too. I mean, imagine we can all think of those teachers we had that would never have asked us that but <laughs> no. you you figured out how they wanted you to do the project and did it that way so that you would and 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 imagine if that excuse me that same teacher had said what can how how did this feel for you how did how that come across could it be different could it be more you know oh my yeah. gosh that then right. you're learning way more than just what that assignment was right and i think the thing is so many of us 
grew up in educational systems where we didn't feel empowered to even like make things our own. Like I was really fortunate that I was, just, I'm just like, I'm a, I'm a nerd. Let's, let's just be real. I am like a nerd and I will own that. And that is my personality. And that has been my personality type since I was probably like a year old, awesome. <laughs> just super nerd. <laughs> but I'm also always looking to like make things my own. So when I was in 10th grade in high school, I hit my, I was really, really fortunate. My mom liked to travel. And so she actually took my sister and I to Russia on arts wow. exchange. And so we got to tour like all of these cool arts places and it was amazing. And had horrible teachers my sophomore year. Like I just got uh, the worst, the worst of the worst. But every project that we had, I was like, okay, well, this teacher is useless, but how can I make this interesting to me? So awesome. in my world cultures class, which should have been an amazing class, but the teacher was terrible. I ended up writing a term paper on the state of the arts in post-communist Russia because wow. that was what was interesting to me. Yeah. And so that's what I, how I approached my students. I'm like I'm not actually teaching to like, feed my own ego. I'm teaching because I, I want to help you guys. And so you tell me what you need and maybe it didn't work the first time, but we'll, we'll tweak it together and I'll, and I'll figure it out for the next time or the time after that. Oh, I love that. And, and you started out even in the introduction talking about mindset. And I think that's such a key point as well, because, and I can't wait to see your journal because of, because of how you put this information out there, but you're right. If you just buy the journal that you see at the store that has the pretty cover, or you think you're going to have a system to do it, somebody yeah. else's system that works for them. Guess what? <laughs> We've probably all tried that. And I right. do, I think it's, it's that mindset. It's the, it's the diving in. What am I interested in? What do I want to find out more about? Because if you don't, there you'll be sitting in the same place. But if you do, that's when it gets exciting and interesting and, and the passion comes together. Yeah. And I always joke, like my approach as a business coach is that like half of it is, is business and numbers and half of it is therapy. We yeah. actually spend time doing that work. And especially with creative solo businesses, I think you have to, and especially as artists, like we have so much stuff going on in our brains. It's, it's what happens to us as creative people. And if you don't address that side, you can understand all the financials and all the numbers. But if you if you don't get that mindset stuff, then you're not going to get stuff done because you're going to sit at your computer, or you're going to sit at your work table, and you're going to spin your wheels. And so I think it's so important that right, like you can't. I'm not I'm not a systems girl necessarily, which I think you know it's it's ironic that I was like I'm going to create a planner for try and see, but the planner is not about systems. It's about mindset and it's about. I think thinking you're the perfect your way, person to do that. Yeah, thinking your way through that kind of stuff in in a way that helps you sort of structure your it's a it's a quarterly, monthly, quarterly, weekly, daily planner. So like helping you structure and think through those things. But it's it's about like it, it has to be about mindset first because if you don't deal with that, it's always going to come back and bite you yeah. in the ass. So much so. And what about when we get stuck with comparison and oh gosh. I mean, because we can all day long talk about just doing it, but if we're a little bit frozen with the comparison part. Yeah. So I think, first of all, if you get stuck in the comparison, like I'm a big fan of unfollow, unfollow, mm -hmm. mute, take yourself away from it. And I always tell, like, I tell people when you do that, I'm acknowledging like, it's not them, it's me. Like it's, mm -hmm. I, it's my baggage, but I can take that baggage away. I can stop looking at those people. I can stop dealing with that. And so that's the first thing. But then also, I think the thing is, you have to remind yourself that everyone has something different and valuable to contribute. And so instead of comparing, just go, go do your work, do your thing and put it out there. And 
and and you just you just have to put it out there. And yes, there are absolutely going to be people doing things and doing similar things. And that's just the world. So you can either decide like, oh, it's, it's not worth it. But I think everyone has a different spin. Like you were talking about, I mean, when I first started teaching wholesale, no one else was teaching that. Now other people are. And actually, like, I love that other people are because everyone has different experiences and everyone right. has different knowledge. And I think it's so important that we have that. And then I teach topics that other people teach too, because I also understood that my people right. want it from me. Yes. And I think that's the thing too. Even in like my jewelry, like I had started doing these like really simple like circle hoops. And I was like, yes, are there a million circle hoops in the world? Absolutely. But first of all, I just wanted some for me. And second of all, my people want them from me. Like they, they, your people want stuff from you. So that's yes. the thing is, yes, someone else is doing it, but your people want it from you. And I think that's important to remember too. Oh gosh. I love that. That's so quotable. And it's so true because we do. I have people that I will just go back to time and time again. And, and because I like, you know, just listening to you, I think, and I got this feeling when I was starting to read the book, when you were talking about, yes, you can buy a journal and there's all these systems, but it's about mindset. I was thinking, okay, this is, I know this is going to resonate with me because you're a creative, but you've had, you've grown up around business, but you've had to figure it out for yourself too. So that is what I feel like the majority of, majority of us are doing. We're figuring out how to love what we do and make money from it. It's yeah. kind of boils down to that. And how do we, what are some of those pointers that we might've heard from somebody else? But if it's somebody that's speaking our language in a way that we can relate to, like, what else can I learn from you? What else are you offering? Right, exactly. And, and those are the things that we just have to remember. I, I might've mentioned this on the podcast before, for those of you listening, but I asked, I did mention to somebody once, you know, I'm thinking about doing this thing that you're doing. And she said to me, well, it's a big pie, you know, and there's a lot of pieces of that pie and you're going to find the people that want your flavor. And it's, it's that same principle. And I, I really love that. Yeah. Really love that. Um, one of the other things that you mentioned was the tasks, the tasks in your business and all the things that we get. <laughs> I was thinking about when I was reading, I was like, Oh yeah, yeah, I do that. Um, the things that we love, but don't get paid for are often the things we spend the most time on and, and to reprioritize that and make sure you're adding the things you actually are going to earn some money from. Yeah. So I think, so one of the things that I, I like to talk about is that as artists and creatives, we, we can make pretty much anything. We probably have the desire to make pretty much anything, but that doesn't mean that that thing will sell. Right, and right. so, oh, yes, yeah. And, and you don't know, you don't know whether it will sell or not until you put it out in the marketplace. Right. Right. But what you have to do, this goes back to the last chapter on charging more. So the thing is you have to max, I hate to say like maximize value because it's such a businessy corporate word, but you have to maximize value on the things that you can get paid for yeah. so that sometimes you can devote your time and energy to maybe the things that you love that, that maybe you don't get paid for. So one of the things that I teach a lot in my mentorship program is this idea of um, different different business models to support your art. And one of them is what I call sell the damn work. And it's literally just the work that you 100% love to make and can you sell it? And some people can and some people can't. And that's not a judgment 
on you or the work. It's just a reality of being an artist, making things in a marketplace. So a lot of people want to sell the damn work, but some people don't. And then what you see a lot, especially in industries like jewelry, is what I call a bread and butter line. Mm -hmm. And so a bread and butter line, that's your production line, right? That's the things that are more reproducible, that that usually sell it at typically a lower price point than say like one of a kind work. They're the things that can help you keep the lights on. But what a lot of people get wrong about a bread and butter line is they think because it's supposed to be less expensive or because it's typically less expensive, that they should be making less money. And you actually have to flip that on your head. Your bread and butter line should be the most profitable thing you make. Like this is why I sell earrings that take me two minutes to make and I sell them for 75 or 80 or $100 because that stuff has to be the most profitable so that it it can support maybe some of the more creative work that's get paid for. And this is one of those things that like everybody misses and then they end up in burnout mode. So you end up on this hamster wheel of like, you know, now I'm, yeah, I'm selling all these earrings, but I'm selling them for 20 or $30. And I'm like exhausted and burnt out all the time. And now I resent my business because I'm not getting to do anything fun. And it's because you've gotten your pricing model really, really off in terms of how profit should be. So, yeah, you know, really understanding things like that and charging more for the stuff that you can get paid more for so that you can have the time to do creative work that you may not necessarily get paid for now or ever. So but it brings people in. Like, I right. feel like those extra special projects are the attention getters. And then exactly. the $75 earrings are what fly out the door. And, right. and, the other, and the other thing is you need, as creatives, we want those extra special projects. We want time yes. to have that creative exploration. And that creative exploration can also potentially lead to more sellable work. So you mentioned at the beginning, my jewelry line having this very distinct quality to it. And that came directly out of the work that I made when I was in grad school. So mm. I I've started... really never seen anything like it. Yeah. So so for those of you who don't know, when I was, if you go to my website, if you go to Meganama.com, you can dig around and find it. But um, I was making this welded wire furniture. So I got really into, I mentioned I'm a textile nerd. I get, got really into the history and development of floral pattern textiles and then how I could translate that using welded steel wire. So I actually made a full-size chair and an yes, ottoman. There's a all picture of this, on your website yeah, or on so your all of Instagram. This, the chair alone, it, I think I figured out it has like 5,000 welds in it. It took me over a month to make. And I was in grad school. So pretty much my only job was to like make things and research. It took me a month, over a month to make, and no way. I mean, maybe in some future world I could sell that, but like, also it's not even functional. You can't sit on it. It's totally just a sculpture. But all of those forms that I developed as I was building that that body of work, it gave me this whole language and this ability to create because a lot of it was repeated motifs. And so it gave me this whole language. So then when I started doing production and got out of grad school and doing shows, I just started taking those shapes that I was already making in that sculpture and turning them into jewelry. And so Mm. I firmly believe that that is how I ended up with such a distinctive style is because my voice didn't come from, let me look at what other jewelers are making. Even though I've spent plenty of time looking at other jewelers, like I went to school for that. It came from, here is this depth of research that I did looking at this other field of influence. And then I translated that in one way. And then I just kept translating it and breaking it down in different ways. And then even then, you know, experimenting with what people were interested in, what people were were buying, because originally I was working pretty much only in steel and my work was very labor intensive. It was all these little intense details because that's what I love to do. People were like, oh, I love this. But they were having a hard time understanding the value Mm. of that work 
because like, oh, it's just, it's just steel. Right. And so (laughs) then I started just putting in like little accents of silver Uh into the, you know, I was making these chains and I would just add these a lot. And suddenly the stuff that had the little accents of silver, people weren't questioning the price. Uh People, it's just all of a sudden it was like, I just clicked into that little marker of what other people valued. Yes. And the line just took off from there. And then things like, I think I started and I was really making a lot of earrings and rings and people would come into my craft show booth and I had long hair at the time. And they were like, well, you're not wearing your jewelry. And I'm like, no, no, I am like, let me show you. But everyone was looking at my neck and I wasn't wearing a necklace so because uh-huh. I, I wasn't making necklaces. So then I started making more necklaces and then those became my best sellers. Yeah. So that's what everything really boils down to like putting your work out there and seeing how people respond and then evolving from there. Listening. Right. Yeah. And it's just yeah. like Listening you're in your observing. teaching. What can mm-hmm. I do differently? What did you like? What's missing? Yeah. Ugh, yeah I view every, everything that. is a work in progress all the time, which I like, I will admit, I think there's something about that that can sometimes feel like exhausting, right? Like don't people just want the answer, right? Like, okay. Like, can I just have the answer? And right. the truth is like, no, like you can't, especially not in the way our world is like everything is, sh- is shifting and changing all the time. And I don't know. I feel like people who sell one answer, they're like snake oil salesmen. Like it's just, <sighs> yeah. there's, there's not, and like, I could, I, I think about this in my teaching business. I could make way more money if I was like, I'm going to sell you my five step system <laughs> for profits of whatever. But like, that's so counter to how I teach and how I believe the world works and how I want my students to experience my classes. And it probably means I'm making less money, but it also means I'm giving my students, I think the best experience and I'm not sugarcoating it to be like, just follow these five. Cause the other thing is people are like, you follow these five easy steps. Right. And then if you, if you follow those five easy steps and they didn't work for you, you feel like the failure, I, right. which is so not true. It's just no. that everyone's art is different and everyone's products are different and everyone's personalities are different. And you, you just, you have to find a model that works for you and what works for me isn't going to work for you and et cetera, et cetera. And I don't know, just, I get, I could rant all day about, I love it. I love it so much. You know, I think one of the other things that, that is obvious, but we haven't said it is that often people think, well, I'm an artist, I'm a jeweler. Let's take you, for example, I'm a jeweler. So this is what I do. But you quickly picked up on I'm a jeweler, but I can help somebody, this woman across from me with her booth. And maybe I could help more people in that way. So it's diversifying and plugging into the things that you're passionate about. It doesn't have to be one thing. There's so many ways to tick our boxes and, and help others while we help ourselves. And, and I limiting beliefs are just that, you know, and you're a perfect example of non-limiting beliefs. Hey, creative friends. I want to share something with you. I want to make sure you know about Beth Buffington's fantastic class, Learn the Art of Procreate. What will you create today? Where will your imagine take you? A park, the beach, or maybe your creative day is a bit of a time crunch cluttered with waiting for someone or in your car, maybe at the airport, at a doctor's office. Well, with Procreate, you can work anywhere you want to. Bring your iPad along and you'll easily be able to work on your art. Think how wonderful it would be to create wherever you'd like. That's the power of Procreate, a drawing app to use with your iPad and Apple Pencil that can transform your creative practice. If you're curious about learning more, join Beth Buffington for her online course, 
Learn the Art of Procreate. Here's a quote from one of Beth's students. I really enjoyed this class. Your radiant personality shines through your videos and live Q&As, and it's easy to understand the lessons because of your teaching style. You know, it doesn't matter if you're a complete beginner with no experience in drawing or if you're a professional illustrator. Beth is a fantastic, patient, thorough teacher, and with this class, she'll help you start a professional journey, play with Procreate for projects on the side, or learn how to make eye-catching digital paintings and illustrations for fun. Enrollment opens on January 20th, and class begins on February 1st. And you can join Beth for a free Procreate workshop on January 20th, 24th, or 26th. So check your calendars and visit www.bdi-create.today backslash windowsill for more information. I know that was a lot, and I'm talking fast, so get out a pencil. Here it is again, www.bdi-create.today backslash windowsill. And you can hop on the waitlist and be the first to know when enrollment opens very soon. I know you'll love it and it will be a game changer. Uh, well, I think the other thing, I mean, I'll be perfectly honest. I get bored. I am not the kind of person who can like do the same thing all the time. And at the beginning of my business, I really internalized some stuff that this was like, like a failure on my part. Like, oh, if I don't have this laser focus in my business, I'm doing something wrong. I'm like, no, actually, if I have laser focus, I get really bored. And then I just drift off into space anyway. <laughs> so I might as well <laughs> yeah. like embrace the things that are exciting to me and, and follow through and do those. And so I think, you know, you're allowed as a creative, I think there are two things. One, you're allowed to explore other revenue streams, other options. Like you're allowed to try it and see and, mm -hmm. and put stuff out there and see what sells. But you're also allowed to have hobbies that you don't have to monetize. And right. I know that those feel very conflicting and it's hard to hold both of them in space, but they both can be true. Like you can do things that you are very passionate about that you don't monetize, but then you can also say, hey, I know I'm known for being a jeweler. Today, I'm going to write a book or I'm going to make a planner or I'm going to make some paintings or I'm going to do some embroidery, whatever. Like you can try those things and put them out in the marketplace and see what happens. So both of those things can be true and you can find the spaces for both of them in your business. I love that. I think it also goes along. There was something else you mentioned in your book that as we're playing around and figuring out what works, we're thinking that everybody's watching us and really <laughs> they're not. <laughs> No. I mean, that they are. I mean, that's a whole social media conversation, yeah. right? But they are. But your tries, nobody's going to. I mean, it's what sticks that you do over and over and over yeah. again that people are going to see. But the things that you try are just they're really helping you. Right. Right. You're learning things. And and yes, you might occasionally have someone be like, wait, I thought you were working on this other project. And I'm like, yeah, you know, what? it didn't work out. I moved on. But for the most part, like well, A, no one is paying as much attention to us as, you know, as we think they are. And especially now, like social media at this point, it's like if you can get anyone to pay attention to you for three seconds, you've won. So yeah. stop worrying if people are really paying attention. Yeah. But also you are a human and you have the right to change your mind at any time. And I think this is one of those things that we get so hung up on where we think, okay, well, I've like, I've made a decision and I, and I have to do it forever. No, you're human. You're allowed to change your mind. And so you're allowed to say, I tried this thing. It didn't work. That's my prerogative as a human. And if someone else is upset by that, that's their issue, not yours. There's enough pie. 
there's enough flavors. If you stop offering something, someone else is going to step in and offer it. And that's fine. You don't have to solve everything for everyone. I love the permission. I just think it's so important. And I just, and you make it sound positively doable. And I really like that. You know, as we head on into another year, which is crazy, but true. Tell us what you think about setting goals and, (laughs) and cause that's coming up. So I feel like you have a really good take on how to look at that a little bit differently. Yeah. So when I think about goals, it's so hard to set goals because you can't actually predict the future. And so for me, I'm looking at what are like, what are my focuses and what are my experiments? So the experiments are my tried and sees. What are the things that I'm like, I don't know if this is going to work, but I want to, I want to try this. I want to go down this lane. I want to explore this. And then ideally like what data can I get from it? And then, but then also the thing is someone asked me one time, she's like, it's like, do I have to keep experimenting in my business forever? And I was like, no, like if you find things that are working, stick with them. Like the point of experimentation is not to like rip up the book every single day and like start fresh. The point of experimentation is to learn what's going to work in your business. And so I'm also always identifying like, what are the things that I'm going to focus on? What are the things that are most important to me and my priorities? And so for me, those are more important than like, I have a goal to do this specifically. It's like the my number one thing that I'm constantly asking myself is like, how do I want to spend my time? And I think that's a metric we don't use <laughs> enough yes. in our businesses and our lives. But I'm like, how do I want to spend my days? How do I want to spend my time? And then how do I structure my business to make that possible? Oh, and so, so how I want to spend so my much. time is like, right, what art I want to be making, what how like what I want to be doing. And then and then what decisions do I have to make to do that? And all of those things to me are way more powerful than like, this is my goal and I have to stick to it. Also, I'm bad. What did I say? I get bored, right? So I'm bad, really bad at goal setting because like, I think I have this goal. And then if it doesn't happen in like three months, I'm like, mm, I'm, I'm over it. Like I'm, so I also really like to think like, well, shorter. I love that you call it something else too. Like call it an experiment instead right. of a goal. Right. It's an experiment. It's a, it's just, it's something. Cause you don't know, you don't know how it's going to turn out. I love just changing that one word. It feels, it makes it feel more fun, less daunting and less like, oh, I didn't achieve it. No, I was just throwing something at the wall and seeing right. if it were, it was an experiment. It wasn't a goal. You right. know, and how do we ever know what that's supposed to be? Exactly. And then when you think about it as an experiment at the end of it, instead of saying like, oh, I failed or I didn't fail, you just get to be like, well, what did I, what did I learn? And what do I want to do next? Yeah. Oh, I love that. I'm wondering, I'm, I'm guessing people are thinking like, how do I, if I don't have a, if I'm not in front of somebody in a gift show, how do I query my audience? So, so here's the thing to remember. You can send surveys, you can put stuff out there all day long, but like when the rubber meets the road, you don't know if something's going to work until you ask people for money. Mm -hmm. And so the sooner you can get to a stage of asking people for money, the the better and more quickly you will get information. And so there's this idea of um, MVP, which is minimum viable product. And so asking yourself, like, what is the viable product in whatever I'm trying to do? So what is the thing that I can put out there and see if someone will give me money for? So whether that's instead of being like, okay, I have this whole pivot where I want to say, like, go off and, you know, make paintings or do something else. And you're like, okay, well, I could spend six months making a hundred paintings and then maybe they, maybe they will, maybe they won't sell. 
Or I could spend a month and make three or four paintings and put them out there and see what happens and see if anyone might. And so that's always my thing is like, how can I get something to market quickly and get that information? Because I can, I I can survey people all the time, but what they tell you in a survey is not what they tell you when they have to open their wallets. I love that. And just, I had to smile at that because it's what can you put out there that somebody will pay for? as yep. quickly as possible. Yep. So that is helpful in so many more than one way because they're going to vote with their money. Then you will know, and then you will have money also, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of very positive yeah. things. Or if you don't have money, you'll know what you might need to change to get the money. Right. Well, and so like when I do, when I launch a collection, like if I'm working in a new collection, I never set deadlines based on number of pieces. I always set a deadline based on a date. So yes. I'm like, when I one of my most popular jewelry collections was called the Contra Collection. It's made out of these one-of-a-kind stones that I had, the original batch I had brought home from a trip to India. And so I was like, oh, you know, okay, I think I figured out how I want to do these. And I just said, I, it was May when I started working on it. I was like, June 4th or June 2nd. I forgot what day it was. It might have been June 2nd. June 2nd. I am launching this collection. It will be here. I had no idea if it was going to be three pieces or 20 pieces. Like, I didn't know. It didn't matter. The idea was that on this date, I was dropping this. People knew, people were excited. And however many I had done was however many I had done because it forced me to to stop and put it out there. And I think that's the other thing is like, especially if you have perfectionist tendencies, mm. you have to trick your brain into just shipping, hitting publish, all, all yes. those things I talk about Give in the book. Where, and, it's like, and just giving yourself a deadline and saying, I have to do it. When I first wrote, tried and see, I like I started writing and I got to a certain point where, you know, I felt like, okay, I have something here. This is, this is a chunk of something. And then I put it up for pre-order. I was like, it wasn't done yet, but I was like, Hey guys, I'm working on this book and it's going to be available on such and such a date and you can pre-order it now. And here's a little discount. And, and suddenly it was like, Oh, well now I have to finish it. Now I didn't do that. Right. I didn't do that pre-order. Like when all I had was an idea. Like I think, you know, by the time I did that, I probably had like, that can be a problematic. Right. I think at that point I had like 20,000 words written or something. So I knew, I knew I was close enough that like I needed that motivation to push me over the edge. So, you know, you have to be smart about it. You can't be like, I'm going to launch a collection tomorrow when you haven't even started the collection. But once you have an idea of like, this is a thing that I think I'm ready to put out into the world, giving yourself those firm deadlines gets you out of that like perfectionism, over polishing, over tinkering. Like I gotta, I gotta get it to work sort of thing. Right. I, I love that. And I have a, I said yes to a show coming up. So I've been pushing myself in the studio, which is yeah. so fun too. Cause if I don't, same thing, if I don't have that right. weeks could go by and, and it's like, Oh, tinker, tinker, but yeah, it's, it's doing those things. It's giving yourself that, that goal. I, I do remember I had a lovely client at one point that, that was literally making herself or making it for others, quote unquote, a catalog of her work, not just popping on her website, but I I have to have this whole like page flipping catalog that people can look through. And, and so that's just fear of getting it out into the world, really. So I often will find my next favorite artist to work with by one picture on Instagram. So it really is just about putting it out into the world. And I, I agree with all those things. Well, and when I release like the Contra collection, it's one of a kind. And so every stone has to be photographed every piece. And so when I release that, when I first launched on my website, two images, 
two images per piece, mm-hmm. one yeah. on the body. And depending on what it is, either one, like if it's a pendant, it'll be one on a background. If it's a ring, it's usually like two on the two images. And then if it they don't sell, I might go back and re-photograph oh, and add new images. That's a good but tip. Two images, just get it out there, get it out there, and that's fine. And then if it doesn't sell, you can say, okay, do I need more? But a lot of times it's like, oh, I need 12 images. Yes. <laughs> Oh, I've like, literally what? walked around my house with a box of something that I really wanted to sell and I had to take pictures and I remember walking around looking for the right place thinking of how many pictures I had to take every of every single thing and walking back and putting it down and saying never mind right no it's like two images and you know now we have video so I yeah. you know last year I started making these little like metal dishes that have this colorful powder coating and they're really hard to photograph. And so I was like, okay, one is still image and one video where I just turn it around in my hand so you can see all the sides. And I was like, well, that's faster than taking four or five or six. Here we go. Here's a video faster than a couple images. And that's it. And you put it out there. And then, and again, then if it sells, great. And if it doesn't sell, then you take more images, you can, you know, more things you can share on social media. But what is the fastest and easiest way to get it out into the world? And it's often so much easier than we build it up in our heads. Right. Just show it. I, that is a great tip. Just a couple of pictures, because really, who's telling us how many? Well, Amazon, <laughs> if you're going to sell on Amazon, you need right, so or many ads, or, or Etsy, whatever. Right? But like but the the consumer, the person buying it from you just wants to like it. So yeah. they're going to like it when they see it. And if they need to know more, they'll ask. Oh, right. And especially the other thing, too, is a lot of times your best customers are people who've already bought from you. So they have an understanding already, like my customers can look at my jewelry and they understand what the quality is going to be and what the scale is going to be and, and all of those things. And so they don't need 16 images because they're like, it's, it's Megan. I know I like it. I want it like, boom. And you know, this is a cool stone in the cart. Here we go. So keeping that in mind too, that like, I think sometimes we think people need more than they, than they do. And it, and if you do find out they need more then you add that in later, but like get it out there quick and go from there. I was just going to ask you about that because I was thinking back to your jewelry. And if if you all haven't stopped and gone to look at it yet, <laughs> and I'll post pictures online and, and have it in the show notes as well. But you hit on something once you did your chair and found your kind of shapes and things you want you wanted to do that you've done for a long time and people love it and it keeps selling. Yeah. And I think so many people feel like, oh, I did this thing. I have to shift and do something completely different. And you found something that's working and you've added things in and I love the powder coating and those stones are gorgeous, but you still know your customer knows yeah. they can get that thing that they love from you and you're not letting go of their their passion either. You know, you're supplying them with something they know they love. And then, and it's so, I think one of the, I think honestly, it's going to be, you know, in a design museum as this is classic design. It really reminds me Bauhaus, mid-century, clean, classic, those people you study because they figured it out and they're brilliant. And that's, I feel like your jewelry is that. And And so that to me also gives people permission to what sold first? What did people come and ask for again? Don't forget about that thing. Bring that thing back. I, and so I'm a big fan of creativity within constraint. So, because that's one of the ways that you get, that you deal with overwhelm, right? If you're like, I can make anything, then you're like, oh my God, I can make anything. (laughs) What do I do? And so, you know, my the sculptural work that I was making, it was inspired by 
um, textiles that were inspired by botanical and floral forms. So that was where I started. And then I basically, like I kept distilling the shape down and distilling the shape down to like a lot of people would call it a teardrop. I call it a leaf, leaf shape yeah. because that's what it came from in my brain. But then it was, wait, what are all of the different things? And so like, like you said, what's selling? So for me, it was the chains, like my chains started selling and I loved making chain. I love making chain. And so it was like, okay, well, what are all the variations I can do with this? What if I'm making it in different metals? What if I'm making it in different sizes? What if I'm making it in different thicknesses, different gauges? If I combine multiple ones together, okay, what if the shape gets a little more elongated? All right, well, it's a leaf. So maybe I can make some like more interesting leaves. What are all the things? And, you know, 15 years on, yeah, we're, yeah, 15. I was like, I had to do that math. 15 years on, like I, Every time I think, oh, you know, like I might be done. No. Oh, wait, I could try this thing over here and I could try this thing over here. And so it just always gives me this like place that kind of like home base to come back to of like when I'm stuck, these are my shapes. This is where I start. And then we, and then it grows out from there. And and what's, what can I experiment with today in that? I love that. I just think there's so much permission in that to, 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 you've worked that out. It, came from you, from your creativity, and it just keeps evolving, but it's so good. It's so classically good. Another thing that you did, I think during lockdown was your awesome stairway gallery. That's a whole nother, you know, version of Megan. (laughs) That was a whole, yeah, well, actually, I mean, it started during lockdown and it took two years till I finished it. So this is the other thing too, is like, I'm a big fan of like getting stuff out there fast, but also sometimes in your, in your creative life, some things take a while to evolve. My, my Contra collection, the stones that I bought in India sat on my workbench for six months till I figured out how I wanted to set them and what I wanted to do with them in a way that felt authentically me. Like I bought them because I was like, these are black and white stones in my shape. How cool. But then they sat there, they sat there. So I have this back stairwell that leads up to my studio. And during lockdown, I decided to start painting the steps like different colors. I just, I had read um, Ingrid Fatelli's book, Joyful, which if you haven't read Joyful, it's just, it's just a wonderful book. Um, And it, it just spoke to me on so many levels. And so I was reading that and I just decided I had these steps and they were meh because I ripped an old carpet out. And so I just started painting them. And then I had this, this vision of like, I wasn't quite sure. I was like, okay, the steps are painted. The walls are, are kind of painted. They're not just painted. They're just, I mean, there's, they're. It's this, well, so there's this gradient of color. Gorgeous gradient. It's there's not just like a rainbow. It's just no. gorgeous. This gradient of color. And then I decided, I was like, well, maybe I have all this, all these paintings that I did and they're just kind of stacked around. So maybe I should hang them on the walls. I was like, but maybe I should also like continue the gradient up the wall. I was like, let's do all the things. So I <laughs> continued the gradient up the walls and then I hung a bunch of art. And, um, and it just, it's like, it's one of those things that every time it's funny. Cause I did it. I did all the work. I put it all up there and I still kind of forget it's there and I'll open the back staircase. And I'm like, oh, everyone, like how, how are we doing today? Paint? Like, it just makes me <laughs> so happy, even though I, I should know it's there. I put it there, but every time it went from being like this back disused stairwell that, and I, my studio, I have to keep my torches in a separate space. So like it's the stairwell I walk up and down between my workspace and where my torches are. And it went from like, mm, uh, so sad and depressing to like, look at this really happy, fun space. And, and that's a project that, you know, I just did because it made me happy. So great. It's just, that's a great idea too. You know, what's your, 
what's your workspace like or getting to your workspace? Do you have things around you that inspire you? You know, does it need a clean up? All those things. And and yeah. yeah. I, My, and the, so what I will also say about that too is like, I, you don't need your space to be clean and tidy to surround yourself with things you love. Because right, that's procrastinating from right, getting things done. Right, exactly. My space is a mess. I talk about this in the book. Organization is overrated. My space is a mess, but I know where things are. Same. But that doesn't stop me from decorating for, I have art, I have plants, I have all of these things that the just, things that inspire, just inspire me and make me happy. And like, I mean, how, how easy it's so funny. Cause like for so many years, even though I, my work was inspired by botanical forms and textiles, I was like, I have a black thumb. I'm not a plant lady. And then I totally just went the other, <laughs> other way. And now I have all the plants all the time, <laughs> but like, how inspiring is it to have a studio filled with leaves when you make like, Oh yeah. Right. Oxygen. There is infinite there is infinite possibility in making leaf shapes in my work because now I've got all these different shaped <laughs> leaves hanging out in my studio. So it just fits. Yeah. And the same, but the same thing, even like with the, that my try and see approach literally applies to everything. Like how I went from being a black thumb to a plant lady was, I just started buying plants and I was like, okay, well this one died, but this one lived. So why did that one live? And like, maybe this type of plant is better for me or better for my st-. Literally, I stopped berating myself for killing plants <laughs> and just started treating it as an experiment. <laughs> I love it. Just another experiment that can yep. be somebody listening. That can be your experiment for the year. Yeah. Add that to your list. Try, yeah. try to get your thumb a different color. I love that. Yeah, just everything. And you know what? If it dies, it's okay. Cause also I learned that plant shopping is really fun. So if a plant dies, you just get to go buy a different. <laughs> I know I, um, I come and go, I ha- I'm looking sideways right now into my studio and I, I have fewer than I have had, but definitely I went without having any long time. My problem is remembering when they need water. So I just put them in a place where I see them all the time now. That's exactly what I do too. Best trick. If you, if you're staring at them, then you can't forget about them. That's right. It's like, they tell you. Yes, they do. (laughs) Oh, I love that. So tell us a little bit about your other offerings because you, you have a couple of different websites. You have designing an MBA. Um, just tell us about the different ways people can, can work with you or find you and, and the things that you're doing that you're passionate about. Yeah. So as if it wasn't obvious, I do, I do a lot of things. Um, so designing an MBA, you can find me there. That is my website that has 10, 12 years worth of blog posts. So if you want to read more on my thoughts on business and art and creativity and social media and like a bunch of things that we didn't even time have time to touch on, that is all there. Um, and you can read that there. You'll also find links to my classes there and my mentorship, which is artists and profit makers, which you can also find at artistsandprofitmakers.com. So for anyone who wants to work with me on a more ongoing basis, um, I do monthly trainings and Q and A's there. It's and what really does like, that look like to work with you? Yeah. So what it looks like in terms of artists and profit makers is it's like a hybrid kind of mentorship group coaching. So we have um, a group forum where literally every day, well, Monday through Friday, because I believe in work-life boundaries. Um, Every day, Monday through Friday, I'm in the forums and I'm answering questions and giving people feedback. And we deal with everything from like numbers to mindset, all of the stuff. Like it's, it is like a one-stop shop of whatever you need in your business. Um, And then in addition to the forums, I do a train, a different training every month. So every month we pick a different topic and as a member, you get an access to the library of trainings. So literally now it's been, I started it in 2018. So there's like 40 some trainings pricing trainings, mindset trainings, marketing trainings, business strategy trainings, like 
everything you could possibly want, website reviews, all that stuff. And then we also do a, a monthly Q&A where we just hang out. I answer people's questions. Sometimes we have a joke that like someone does the public service announcement, public service of setting me off. And then I just go rant about something, <laughs> whatever gets me worked up. Um, so yeah, so I have that. And it really, um, I mean, I, I love that group. I love the group of women that are in it. Um, I, I feel like it's no small thing to say, like, that was my, that was my savior during the pandemic, mm-hmm. having this group that I could support and be with. And it's just a really magical place and there's no commitment. So if you want to jump in for a month and try it, um, nice. you absolutely can. And then um, everything also, you can find links to everything at my main website, which is meganalman.com. You can find the jewelry there. You can find the book there. Um, my my experiments for the coming year, I'm working on several other books and the Try and See Planner. So all of that stuff will be there. If you join my mailing list, you'll find out when all of that stuff launches because I'm I, I, I get bored. I'm always, I'm always working on something because it's just how my brain works. I love it. When are you hoping to have the planner out in the world? Very, very soon. Like in the next couple of weeks, it is, it'll be ready before like January one. Great. Okay. Perfect timing. Cause I think there's so much here that inspires that shifting into a new year thought process that I just wanted to make sure we had this conversation where, where people can Try some of these things on, get that planner, be sure to get the book. I love this book. I will go back to it and back to it and back to it. And I know we didn't um, really spend too much time on social media, but I would love a little little blurb on that too, because I know you're not necessarily a fan, but do you you want to give us some thought, your thoughts, your social media, kind of where you stand today on social media? Yeah. So I always joke that like, particularly with Instagram, I have a love, hate, love relationship. Um, so, you know, it is when Instagram is at its most magical, it is a beautiful space full of things I want to look at and it helps me connect or reconnect with people. I mean, that was how you and I got reconnected. Someone had posted an interview and I was like, oh, wait, like I remember her, like, let's, <laughs> let's get back in touch. Um, and so at its best, it's really beautiful, but setting aside all we know about the toxicity it it has created. um, For me, the reason that I struggle with it is because I think it has made us lazy marketers Mm. in our businesses. So people just think, well, like I I posted on Instagram. So like my marketing work is done, right? I'm like, no, posting on Instagram is like the bare minimum. And if that's the only thing you're doing in your business and you're expecting your business to be successful, like it's basically the the equivalent of trying to play the lottery, right? Yes, right. there are some people who have posted on social media and had very successful businesses grow out of it, but it is a lottery, not a business strategy. And I think it's just made us really, really lazy marketers. And so like I use it, I post things to it. I, you know, try to limit my time, but some days I spend too much time on there. Um, but I also don't ever count on it as the marketing strategy in my business. Right. You know, for years I did, I did shows. I've built my email list. I mean, I'm still a huge fan of email. I have my blog. I have like so many other things. I, you know, I go on podcasts and do interviews like this. There's just so much other stuff that if you're really serious about growing your business, you need to be doing. You can't just be like, I posted on Instagram. Why is nothing working? Right. Instagram isn't actually a marketing strategy. So that's my, in the short, in the, in the shortest way possible, that's how I feel. Um, I certainly use it, but I also, I think, you know, if it also, if it makes you unhappy, leave, that's, that's what I have to say. 
Like, yeah. and, and you don't have to jump on the bandwagons all the time. People are like, you know, everyone's like TikTok, TikTok, TikTok. Right. I like yep. for me, noise is a, is a real issue. And so yeah. like, I can't, I can't do an app where I turn it on and it's, and it's noise and it's loud. Like I just can't, and I'm an extrovert and I say that, like, I just can't do it. <laughs> and so know your boundaries. Like I don't, I don't go on Facebook for stuff. I don't, I'm not joining TikTok. Like I use Instagram because at some point it did and occasionally does make me happy. Yeah. Um, even when I'm frustrated with it, but I also don't count it as my marketing strategy. Well, and I think it can just be one of those things. That's another experiment. It's right. just use it as an experiment, but don't, you should never put all your eggs in one basket anyway. No. And we've talked a lot about that today. And, and so have it be, if it's, if any, if TikTok is something that you're finding right. some interest in, do that, but keep your eye on your prize. You know, what, yeah. what's the thing, what's, what are those things that you're wanting to put out into the world? What are those things that you want to just try it? Just do it. And, you know, have a multi, a, a multi faceted plan on how to get there. Cause it's much more yeah, interesting that way. For sure. I love that. Well, I have to ask who's inspiring you these days. Cause I always love to know. <laughs> and I know it changes every day for everybody. I know it, it changes, you know, for me, it's like so much of my inspiration comes from reading. And so I, um, one of my favorite favorite books of the last several years is um, Jenny O'Dell's How to Do Nothing. Mm. Um, and I am very fortunate enough that I got my hands on a galley copy of her mm. new book that's coming out in March called About Time. And so I have just been diving into that. And I just, I the way she combines like her thinking as an artist with just cultural observation, I just, mm. that is like, that is the kind of writer I aspire to be. Mm. And um, so, yeah, so she's, she's really inspiring me right now in terms of just thinking about, you know, reading her book and, and diving deep in there. I love that cultural observation combined with creativity yeah. is, I mean, I, I don't think I could ever get enough of that. No, I know. Seriously. Like I'm, I'm thinking too, of like, what else have I read recently that really hit that? Like, um, uh, when did I read that Rebecca Solnit's most recent book, mm. um, Orwell's Roses, which is uh. about George Orwell, which is so not a topic that like I felt like I needed to read about, but it's this beautiful meditation on like on why even in a world that feels horrible and upside down, we need art and we need beauty mm. and it just things like that just make me make me super happy. <laughs> I love that. You know, that's a conversation that I've been having in a couple of different ways with a couple of different people that I like how they think lately. And and just putting that question out there, you know, what if, for instance, you had wax casting in high school? What if creativity was inserted or mandatory even in a different way in, in our dream world, right? Yeah. But like, I have, I must say, as a as a parent of a teen, um, I just was going along thinking, well, he has to go to our local high school. That's that's where we live. That's where he's going. And someone pointed out that there was just a ferry ride away. Just uh, there's a free local high school that's an arts magnet school. And he that's where he's going. And the difference is blowing my mind. And so I just feel like, how OK, so creativity isn't mandatory in the world but what if we make it mandatory for ourselves and reading things like orwell's roses or you know 
how to, to do nothing, your book, you know, these things that make us stop and think and remind ourselves that sometimes we get on this hamster wheel and what are we doing that we love along the way? Yeah. I think that's so, so powerful. And, and I think we get stuck to a feeling like, because there's the, the world is heavy right now that we can't indulge in, in beauty and art and creativity. And it's like, no, that is actually the thing that's going to save us and keep us afloat and keep us energized for all the fights that we have to fight in the world. Um, And so I think, you know, in times, in times like this, like it doesn't make art less important. It makes art more important. Okay. You need to come on like every other month, (laughs) please. Date. I'll do it. We'll do it. Anytime. Anytime you want me back, I could chat. Awesome. Forever, all the time. Well, I'm just so aligned. And I really, I'm, I mentioned it when we were DMing each other, but our conversation that we had all those years ago really has stuck with me because I, I just thought, who is this person? She's, I love how your mind works. I love what you stand for. You make beautiful things and you, you help people. And those are, that's a, that's a winning combo in my book. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for being here today. And I, I will circle back. I'd love to talk more. Yes, any anytime. Before you go, I just want to say a quick thanks for tuning in. I hope you found something useful to take away and something to make you think. For those of you listening in on Spotify, and I know there are many, you now have the cool option to show your love for Windowsill Chats quickly and easily. From the show page in the Spotify app, you can simply tap to rate it one to five stars. And of course, I'll really appreciate it too if you leave a review wherever you might be listening. See you next week, lovelies, and I hope it's a creative one.